We now go to the Wrong Boys Imaginarium in the sleepy little town of Wrongtown. Sean, I just got this letter. It says it's from the local magistrate. Let's open it up. Oh, man. Is the city of Wrongtown pressing charges? For hubris? They're charging us with three counts of hubris, three times three counts of hubris each. Oh, my God. They're throwing the book at us. They're charging us with hubris in every sense of the term. They're charging us, one, with hubris under the ancient Greek legal sense of the term. Two, they're charging us with hubris in the Greek dramatic sense of the term. And three, they're charging us with hubris in the colloquial modern sense of the term. And all because we're trying to organize to get wrong town hot and cold running soup in every home and cake that tastes just as good but is still healthy. Oh my god, three charges each. And like, okay, maybe we're hubristic colloquially that we're trying to do something big for our britches. Maybe we're hubristic in the dramatic sense that we're going against the gods, but hubristic in the ancient Athenian legal sense that we're doing violence to people in order to humiliate them? What the heck? We need to talk to our lawyer. We need to hire a team of lawyers because it looks like the corrupt leadership of Wrongtown will stop at nothing to shut down our humble imaginarium where dreams are made reality. And that's not right. Will Sean and Aaron go to a lawyer? Will their lawyer give them pro bono legal advice because they're low income? And why is the city of Wrongtown turning on the humble imaginarium? Stay tuned to find out. Hey, that thing that the teacher said they're wrong. They're wrong! And that thing that your comrade said she's wrong. She's wrong! And that thing that your partner said, the thing that your mom told you in bed, they are also seriously wrong. No one knows anything, especially Aaron John. It's seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. Seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. It's seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. So, today on the show we're talking about hubris. What do you think about hubris, John? Well, I went into this in favor of hubris, but I've actually had my viewpoint on that complicated through the research here. Just basically in society and stuff, you hear hubris, you think that's a good thing. Like that's the sense you get. I guess I'm a bit out of the norm on this one, but whenever I hear about someone undertaking the hubristic delusion that they're equal to gods, I actually, I like that. Because <laughs> that's actually, I mean, I don't actually have like a position on hubris. I mean, what an absurd premise. What an absurd premise to even hold positions in the first place, let alone on something like hubris. I'm holding a position. Is that a military metaphor? Where does that come from? Yeah, it is, I think. We hold the position here that la 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 la. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to kill me eventually. (laughs) But I do have like a little bit of a sense of like hubris being funny in this way of like people being accused of hubris unnecessarily like the Wright brothers were hubristic they had the delusion that they were equal to the gods that they could stand up and defy the laws of nature by making human beings fly like birds against god's design in that story i'm cheering for the Wright brothers i associate hubris more heavily with that sort of false accusation of hubris than some sort of like oh i'm gonna create a super cancer in a laboratory and i'm gonna use it to study cancer and then cure cancer and then oh the super cancer got out oh my hubris 
I resonate more deeply with the first example. That type of hubris is what I associate with the word personally. Yeah, that's interesting because being hubristic, like I think if you look at the definition, one of the first things that pops up is excessive pride or self-confidence. And like, I think people generally think of like hubris as being someone who's getting a bit too big for their britches or like thinking themselves up a bit too much. And I think the Wright brothers probably did have that kind of hubris in some sense. Like they were right in the end, but they could have been wrong. Like they didn't know that before they actually invented the machine that worked. So to believe that it could have worked was a bit hubristic. You know, at the time someone like read the newspaper and was like, that ain't right. (laughs) Brothers take flight. They're like, "Mm mm-mm. Another thing that you mentioned just before we started was a definition of hubris that was like a person who is set up for the fall. And I think that's kind of where you're getting the Wright brothers not being hubristic because they didn't fall. They did the opposite. But like, that's kind of judging it after the fact. I think before that, there are some similarities. It's just kind of funny when people really think they can do something that they can't. And like, sometimes that's really jarring and grating and you hate them. And sometimes it's charming. But I think it's all in the hubris area. And it's interesting, some of the interplays there around fake it till you make it is actually a pretty good piece of advice. Because our predictions for the future can help make those predictions become true. And we sort of set the direction through our predictions. We set the direction of our own development through our actions. So sometimes there are people who are excessively self-confident, so big-headed that they take on more than they can actually deal with, and then they fall as a result of it, and they're like humiliated as a result of it. It's also true to a limited sense that people who are hubristic and are set up for the fall get more opportunities where random chance sets them up for enormous success because of that bizarre confidence. The barrier between someone who is extremely, extremely confident about their project and a con man basically just comes down to something that's going on inside their brain privately. I definitely think it takes hubris to be a con man. I think the biggest thing with what makes a con, like, are they conning you or are they, like, is the content of what they're selling you good or true or? I guess what I'm trying to draw there is not to uphold the ethical necessity of con men or something like that, because I think it's really wrong to mislead people and take advantage of them. But the confidence of the con man is the confidence of the hubristic person who somehow makes something happen entirely through their self-confidence and charm. I'm sure this has happened numerous times throughout history where someone shows up, they seem like the real deal. They're like, we're going to do it this way. Everyone follows along and something happens as a result of it. That was pure hubris in the modern sense of the term. It is interesting to say it's only hubristic if you fail. That's what I kind of thought you were saying when you were saying set up for the fall, because I'm like, well, but before that, like you don't actually know if they're going to fall or not. You just know how they're acting and if they're acting a little too sure of themselves or a little bit too cocky or they're thinking themselves like the gods. We get those senses from people sometimes. The setup before the fall definition implies that if you don't fall, then it was never hubris to begin with, which is an interesting backwards definition placing thing. The part that grips me about hubris and that I just love in this mythic sense, this like mythopoetic sense, when you're talking about a person believing that they can beat the gods, they can defy the gods, and they can defy fate. And a lot of like, there's a real liberatory aspect to defying the gods under most societies. There's good reasons to defy almost any god I've ever heard of in some way. (laughs) 
Hello, class. Thank you all for being here today. Today, we are talking about a very special topic. Close to my heart, it is, and I'll just write this up here, definition wobble. Does anyone know what definition wobble is? Any hands? Is that when things have more than one definition and you don't know what to use? That's right. That's great. Yeah. Definition wobble is when a word has more than one definition and you can't tell which definition someone's using. So a great example, and I use this example all the time, is the definition of hubris. And here I'll just write this up and draw the triangle. So we've got a, a triangle of hubris. At the top of the triangle of hubris, we have the ancient Greek legal sense. Now this is the origin of the word hubris. In ancient Greek society, hubris was a charge that you could take against other people if you felt that they had been violent and degrading to someone. The ancient Greeks took this so seriously that you could charge someone with hubris even if you weren't the victim of the hubris. If you saw someone being hubristic to someone else, you could bring the charge. In contrast, if someone was murdered, only their family could bring that charge forward. So they took hubris quite seriously. Any questions? No, just what the next kind. I'm so curious. Hubris number two. As Greek society evolved, Greek dramatic playwrights invented a new definition of hubris. Because in ancient Greek, they didn't have a word for sin. So they used the charge of hubris as a metaphor for when people act against God within dramatic works. And so this created the Greek dramatic sense of hubris. When someone challenges the fates or gods and delusionally believes they're equal to them. Wow, that definitional shift is fascinating, teacher. The third definition of hubris is hubris in the contemporary sense. Now, hubris in the contemporary sense is when someone is big-headed, causing them to be open to fall or failure. So this triangle of hubris, three definitions, depending on context, you don't know if you're talking to an ancient Greek legal scholar, someone who's a fan of drama and plays, or someone who's just using the contemporary sense when you hear someone use the word hubris. And that definition wobble requires what we call, in the field of definition wobble, a clarifying question. A clarifying question will always clear up what version they meant. If you don't have the option to ask them a question, say it's a piece of writing or something like that, you're pooch. The author's dead. Try to figure it out. Any questions? Teacher, couldn't you infer from context? That's a great question. You could infer from context, but you could also infer from both the context in the piece and the context that you're coming from as an individual. In fact, that's inescapable. No matter who you are and how unbiased you try to be, the context in which you come from is going to be the meta context in which you judge the context of that piece. So in that sense, we can do our best to try to figure out what the author's intent would be. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we can create our own meaning with the text as well. And that's great. Yeah, I thought that that was going to be confusing. But with clarifying questions, it won't be. So thank you, teacher. Okay, class, uh, that's all for this week, and I'll see you when you come back. Next week, we have a really exciting topic. We're going to be talking about definition wobble around socialism and liberalism, and we're going to be talking about how that has more to do with geopolitics than ideology. It's going to be really fun. So, yeah, I think the definition of hubris, that it's that kind of attitude that too big for their britches, too self-assured, that like commonly gets called 
overconfidence or arrogance, but arrogance is thought of as being too confident. But I think that's not how it actually works. I think that real confidence, like deeply felt confidence, actually doesn't manifest itself in that sense of being too big for your britches. I think that that's usually like a cover up for a lack of confidence in a certain area. So this sort of frame puts hubris as it's the corrupted mode of confidence. It's confidence which is distorted away from its pure, you know, like... Well, it's like part of you recognizing that you don't feel confident about this right now. So you're protecting yourself and reacting to that and like overreacting and being like, absolutely, I'm right about this. Like you can imagine if you're the Wright brothers building a plane, you must have had like a lot of doubt that you were going to be successful because nobody had ever been successful before. Like no matter how right your rational calculations are, you've thought it all through and it makes sense and you're sure of your genius or whatever, there's going to be a huge part of you that's just like, I'm a complete hack failure. Like <laughs> the person who confidently knows they can build a plane is a person who's built a plane over and over and over again successfully. That's confidence. And then if someone says you can't build a plane, they're like... Yeah, I can. I do it all the time. They wouldn't be like, yes, I can. And like angry about it. <laughs> Goes and builds a plane right away. I'll show you tonight, motherfucker. Or if they did do that, like maybe they had some other lacks of confidence. So they were not feeling confident in that moment for some other reason. But like, I think there's a real difference and that one isn't too much of the other one. It's like a protection mechanism for not having enough of the other one. To be fair to the Wright brothers and their hubris, they worked through a process of experimentation. There were multiple iterations of attempts at flight over the period of decades by various people, right? Like they weren't like, we've got a perfect blueprint and we're going to build it one time and we're going to be the right flying brothers and fly around the world first time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They had a proportionality to their aspiration. Yeah, no, I have no idea about the history. I'm like, I have an ahistorical view of the Wright brothers based on like one sentence summaries of what they did. So that's what I'm reacting to. You know, they built a plane when everyone said they couldn't. But they could do that without being hubristic in the sense I'm talking about. Like, I don't actually know because I didn't talk to them. This is more of a how you act in a certain moment kind of thing. Like, I don't think it's how people are fundamentally one way or the other. My understanding of this came mostly off of like bumper stickers and cereal boxes too. But I think it's likely that there were probably both groups at the time that were overly confident in the Wright brothers or other flying innovative geniuses and people who were harshly critical and pessimistic. And that there were probably even like meta fights amongst those groups. Absolutely. Well, well, you can imagine too, how should wings be designed or how should this part be designed? Different approaches to that. Because again, we don't have a successful design yet. So they're just like, no, mine is right. No, mine is right. And that's like all these hubris, like bumping up against each other. Because like nobody can be confident theirs is the right one in a situation like that. So how would you distinguish real confidence from hubristic confidence, the type of confidence that's in defiance of the natural order and the defiance of God? <laughs> it's funny too, because like you've got a very thoughtful, personal, reflective mode of looking at hubris and then framing it in the context of you being the person who's saying that they're defying God is very funny. Yeah. Well, like the Wright brothers again, or like flight, like it kind of is defying gods or like traditions or like norms in society, things people hold sacred. But I think part of what I've been trying to say is I think some of this interpersonal hubris is going to come out in situations like that because when you're defying the gods, you're in uncharted territory. So it's really hard to be confident. 
in terms of telling the difference between them, the biggest one, like I'd say, would be ones arrived at through like consistent experiences of success with something. So like you're going to be confident in your ability to do X thing if you do it right all the time. I'm confident I can drink water because I'm always successful when I try or like 99.9% of the time. Sometimes it goes down the wrong hole, but I'm still pretty confident about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still wracked with guilt with the one time that I let myself down and I tried to drink and it almost went down the wrong hole and I had to cough. Just like wrecked my self-confidence on drinking forever. <laughs> or if you do that like four times in a row, you might be pretty wary the next time. Okay, like what's going on? Like your confidence starts waning. Yeah, you're gonna have to like pull in some hubris to get that. <laughs> Potentially. So like, I think confidence for that reason, I think it comes from more of a calm place. If you think of like a reaction to an insecurity, you're feeling panicked, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling something negative and you're trying to make up for it. So there's kind of a overcompensation. If you see people speaking as though they're 100% certain of something that's usually in some kind of area of hubris, if they get challenged on things and they start defending themselves or attacking rather than trying to understand where the challenge is coming from or just not caring so much if it's not a challenge that is true. Yeah, it seems true to me that that sort of tendency or that urge that people have to different degrees to attack someone when they're criticized is sort of a corrupted mode of confidence. In usual circumstances, maybe if they were tired or something, you wouldn't really see the person who is totally mastered changing the wheels on a car, getting so upset they would insult someone if someone said they couldn't change the wheels on their car. You have to legitimately be worried well, I guess it could be that you're worried you're perceived a certain way too, just to sort of problematize it. It's like, maybe you've built a plane hundreds of times, but if people think that you're a fraud, if people think that you're not actually building the planes or something like that, that uncertainty could spoil the confidence in the way. I think in that situation, you would be pretty confident that you can build planes, but you would have a lack of confidence that you can deal with being misunderstood widely, you know? Like that that would be okay if that happened. Because maybe that's never happened to you before, that everyone thought you couldn't do something that you did and they were wrong and that affected your life. Like that's a bad situation. So if you don't have the confidence you could deal with that situation, you would also maybe feel protective and want to protect yourself again in that situation. I think, yeah, more so than corrupted, I think of it as like primarily protective. Like hubris is just trying to look out for you. And now, time for Scenes of Hubris. Dr. Kensington, you can't cure cancer. It's designed by nature. It's the rule of the universe. It's just not going to be changed. The rule of the universe be damned. Doctor, I know that your husband died from cancer, but you have to let it go. You can't cure cancer for everyone in their memory. Don't tell me what I have to let go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to cure the cancer. I'm going to cure all of the cancer. We now go to a military lab deep underground. But sir, you can't do that. It breaks the rules of physics, the laws of the universe. A weapon like that could destroy everything, destroy everyone. I'm going to build the weapons I want. <laughs> oh, you're just in this for the power. Uh, it's too much, the hubris. And I have to say, I'm completely confident that after this weapon is developed, it will only be used for the ends I want. <laughs> no enemies will get a hold of this. <laughs> oh no, his desire to project 100% certainty is messing with his reasoning capabilities. He's being that naive oh no the next scene of hubris begins 
Jeffrey, it's absolutely wonderful to have you here today. And I just wanted to open up by asking you a little bit about yourself. I am Jeffrey, but I'm also you and everybody else around us. I am God. I am all things at all times in history and all places. And when did you first start feeling this way? The question is unanswerable because I didn't start feeling this way. I have always felt this way and I've always been. From my perspective, all moments exist simultaneously, eternally inside me. <laughs> Jeffrey, though, but let's be honest. We are mortal beings. We're in the eternal hierarchy of the cosmos. The demigods and the gods are above us, and we're not equal to them. I'm literally, factually, objectively equal to God. All gods. And now we go to a person talking to God. Hey, God, can we talk for a second? My child, come, speak. So, listen, <laughs> funny, weird, crazy, but I'll say it. I am thinking that I'm going to not listen to those directions you gave me, that will that you had for me. Yes, the will of the Lord. I'm going to not do it. You're not following my will? Yeah, I'm just... You defy the Lord? I don't think I'm going to be following it. The literal Lord. You defy? Yeah, I'm just feeling like I really need to be free and open right now and open to new things. And I feel like if I follow those rules, I'm going to be like, oh, like caught up. You know what I mean? Well, fine then. Whatever. I'll see if I care. Cool. Oh, great. So you're cool with it? Perfect. I'm not cool with it. Okay, well, <laughs> that's sort of weird, but I'm just going to go, okay? Yeah, you should. Bye. Thin skin on that eternal Lord, that God beyond time and space. And now for the final scene of Hubris. Breaking sad news today. Local popular teen who sources tell us was more tall and more handsome than all of his classmates has tragically died today as he falsely believed, based on all the support of his peers, that he could fly. He attempted to break the laws of physics and fly and passed away. We have a clip here of one of his fellow students who spoke to us earlier today. You know, we just thought if anybody could fly, Popular Teen would be able to fly. Popular Teen was so cool. It could do anything. I just thought he would be able to fly. I didn't see why not. It was wrong, but... And this concludes our scenes of hubris. Now back to the show. On Seriously Wrong, we're utopians. We believe in trying to create a radically different society for the better that's just as good as possible and just continually trying to better take care of people, meet their basic needs, etc., because of being utopians, we sometimes face accusations of being hubristic in either the policies that we propose or just generally speaking, challenging the way things are. There are a lot of people who believe that the way things are are the way things are. It is how it is and it can't change. We're at the end of history. A sincerely believed thing that people protect hubristically in the sense that Aaron was referencing by attacking people who challenge it. And one of the attacks that they use is to call the people who say, hey, maybe there shouldn't be homelessness. Maybe healthcare is a basic human right. Maybe we should restructure society to function more like an enormous lending library. Those people are accused of being hubristic. Yeah, and like it is hubris to imagine we can confidently know that this society is set up the best way possible and that all the shortcomings that you and I hope to fix are just, you know, baked in. It is how it is. It's going to work this time. A society that only cares for the people at the top and not for the people at the bottom. I just know it's going to work this time. I'm certain of it, 100% sure. At the same time, you know, I don't want to just meet hubris with hubris and deny what they're saying and argue with them and defend myself and attack their arguments and defend mine. 
So I think they do have a point. Like it's hubristic in that we're defying the gods, the gods of neoliberalism that say that not everybody can be housed, not everybody deserves food and housing and education and transportation and everything else. It's also kind of hubristic in that I don't think either of us has built a whole bunch of utopian societies before. It's like as much as we like to play that in the sketches sometimes, going around to different alternate universes, <laughs> making all these utopias. But in reality, nobody's done that. It's not possible to be like calmly confident that we can build a utopia in the same way that you can be calmly confident that I can do a little bit of minor sewing to fix something. Like I know I can do that. But I want to build utopia. I think we can build utopia. I think we need to build utopia. I think it's absolutely 100% necessary and the right thing to do. That's a bit hubristic for sure. In a sense, maybe it is hubristic. And I think to the degree that gods are unjust, they must be defied. So if I'm guilty of defying unjust gods, well, then send me to the unjust gods version of hell. Actually, please don't. Send me to a just gods version of heaven. I don't want to go to an unjust God's version of hell. That would be horrible. But like, I just, I mentioned that because I feel like sometimes on the show, like we really like to put forward these ideas and talk about our hope and our optimistic side that we can do this. And like, I absolutely think we can, but I think people really like listening to that because that's what they want and that's what we want and that's what we all want. And that's why we're saying it. And that's why we have to do it. It also just feels good because it's despairing to live in the world that we live in right now. Our hubris on this subject also comes from our own despair, our own insecurity that like the world might not go well, you know, it's looking that way sometimes. I think you'd have to be a pretty repressive dictator to say that there should not be hubris in art and that imagination is no place for hubris. I think there's a real role in society and also a role within our lives for utopian theory and imagination and discussion and creativity and talking about the world that we want to create, both on an individual level, but also on a society-wide level. I'd really, really like networks of the very smart technical minds who are very well-versed in various areas of expertise, collaborating on the types of questions of the sort of society that we want to create. Just to defend us against hubris for a second, though, being an artist is very different than commanding a militia. And I think the communication strategies that go into political theory or even political organizing versus running jails and prisons are qualitatively different. One of them strikes me as way more hubristic than the other. I would think of them as equally hubristic, but just a situation where hubris is okay versus where it's really damaging. One thing is if we're bringing in all the different definitions of hubris and allowing them to intermingle here and trying to find that one universal hubris, I think the ancient Greek legal definition of hubris that defines hubris, and this is like a charge before courts, what was hubristic to them and was worthy of a charge, it was degrading someone else through violence. The hubris label included, I think, both damaging people's property, intimidating people of means. I think there's an example of someone getting like pied in the face or something like that, like humiliated and being charged with hubris, the person who did the event. Milkshaking fascists. Milkshaking fascists <laughs> would fit under, and sexual assault would fit under hubris underneath the ancient Athenian legal system. And that sort of concept of hubris of like violating another person's bodily integrity in a degrading way as going against God. It's a conception of God that I'd like. That reminds me of what we were just talking about. It's hubristic in the Greek sense to keep people in prisons. In that Greek sense, 
all of the utopian theory in the world could never be hubristic unless it was applied to people through command and control hierarchies. Yeah, I don't think we'd get charged with hubris under that ancient Athenian definition. We're not doing like humiliating violence to people for sure. If you must, you can accuse our show of hubris in the modern sense. We've got inflated egos. We're set up before the fall. And you can even say that we're hubristic. And I think most accurately say we're hubristic in the ancient sense that we defy the gods. Sure. Absolutely. But if you're going to come here and say that Aaron and I and the little show we do is hubristic in the ancient Athenian sense of their legal system, that's slanderous. And that's a bridge too far and disgusting because it, it actually just doesn't represent us at all. It's actually very, very contrary to us. We're sort of extremists when it comes to anti-hubris action in this way. Yeah, absolutely. In the terms of the type of hubris that makes you act like you're 100% certain about something that makes you defend your ideas and attack the ideas that go against you, like downplaying your own weaknesses, that kind of hubris is like also what rhetoric is. Like it's political rhetoric or all kind of rhetoric. You can't do rhetoric from a place of confident curiosity about your opponent's ideas. That's good for conversation, but it's not good for political messaging. It's not good for trying to get your ideas out there. And it's not good for going off in radical directions. Tell me, Mr. Homophobe, why do you think they shouldn't be teaching about sex in schools? Like, I want to get to the bottom of this with you. I'm confident in myself that it's okay to like teach about all types of sexuality. And so I'm just curious. I want to know where you're coming from and maybe we can talk. That's like a confident place to come from, but that's not useful in the realm of the ego clashing internet idea debate or like the political sphere of messaging and stuff. That sphere is all hubris, all egos. Can you imagine if there was like a referendum on gay marriage and the anti-gay marriage side slogan was, we're against gay marriage. And the pro-gay marriage side slogan was, we're open to having a nuanced discussion about whether or not we should have gay marriage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like, I think you need hubris to assert a better world against a world that isn't good right now. And like, you also need hubris to assert an even worse world against the world. Like, I think there's no less of this type of hubris on the reactionary right side. The thing I think that's important to remember about all this is sometimes you do need to try to temper it a bit because like, if if you get too caught up in that 100% certain thing, like my ideology is 100% right, I don't know the difference between my beliefs and the world, like that kind of mindset that is necessary sometimes for rhetoric is like damaging if you're in that all the time and can lead to some really bad actions. If you like merge with it completely, you can do a lot of stuff in the name of your 100% correct ideology. Yeah, I think the identification with concepts like this, there's strength for community building. There's taxonomical strength in distinguishing between like different branches of, say, like political parties and stuff like that and, and distinguishing different sort of factional approaches to different issues or like different perspectives on things. But I can't help but shake the feeling that the identification with people and concepts that are outside yourself and getting through the process of defending people who aren't you doing things that you wouldn't do is the road to some really, really horrifying social chaos and very, very present in politics. When you're not just saying, hey, this is what I think, but you're speaking on behalf of all of your political associations and not only that, but all of the people around the world who deserved better and didn't get it. That type of certainty can be very intoxicating in the sense that righteousness helps people 
continue working through burnout, but I'm not sure that it's actually a good theoretical device. Yeah, again, it's there to protect you, right? You also have to get in touch with what it's trying to protect you from. If you're this certain about something, there's probably a function that belief is playing emotionally for you to help with some kind of a negative experience you're having. So like also being in touch with that can help you not get rid of hubris entirely unless you become a perfect emotional being. <laughs> you know, whatever, enlightened, but like get it more under control because you know what's going on inside yourself. We now go to a craven showing of utopian hubris. See, I don't know. I think if we put one foot in front of the other and just work towards small achievable goals in the world right now that are kind of in the direction of what we want, maybe in the future we'll get much bigger goals done as well. Well, yeah, you know what they say, achievement depends on the size of the plan. Our ability to see the big picture and know that we want a large scale systematic change doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for smaller, more achievable goals within that. I mean, let's be reasonable here. Yeah, it means we should look for those smaller goals. We're trying to challenge the order. Exactly, exactly. It's crucial to say too that history doesn't move in any single one direction. You know, there's a number of potentialities. There's all sorts of contingencies that have led to the situation that we're in today. And I think if we acknowledge that sort of level of contingency and embrace a political strategy of sort of experimentalism, you know, using our best ethics and reason to come up with experimental models of improving and generating horizontal societies, I think we're really going to be able to challenge the established order and achieve quite a lot. What I hear you saying when I hear that is if the first thing we try to make the world better doesn't work, we can try something else, you know? There's no need to be dogmatic about it. The only thing we're maybe dogmatic about is we want to get the world better. That would be good. It would be great if everyone worked towards that. I'm a bit dogmatic about that. I'm dogmatic about an order that does not meet the basic standards that are required to take care of people. I mean, I'm a little bit dogmatic about opposing that, and so sue me, but that order must be challenged. I mean, the way that we do it should be flexible, spontaneous, and have a vitality, a real life to it. Those were the craven ramblings of utopians leading us to certain doom by going into conflict with nature itself. We now go to Wrongtown Courthouse, where Sean and Aaron of Wrong Boys Imaginarium are being charged with hubris. Order in the court. Order in the court. Settle down. Settle down. Sean and Aaron, will you please stand up? You have been charged with nine counts of hubris, that is three counts each for charges of advocating for providing cold soup, hot soup, and cake that still tastes just as good but is healthy anyway to everyone in Wrongtown. And you've been charged with doing so hubristically in three senses. First, in the modern sense that you are behaving arrogantly. Secondly, in the Greek dramatic sense that you are acting against the gods. And thirdly, in the Greek legal sense that you are violently humiliating us by proposing this. The jury has reached a verdict. Please, Foreman, let us know. Thank you. We have reached a unanimous decision on the case of the state of Wrongtown versus Wrong Boys Imagination Emporium. On the count of ancient Greek hubris, we find the Wrong Boys not guilty. They have not used any violence to humiliate or degrade anyone. They have merely expressed whimsical ideas about how society might be structured in the future. In the second sense, hubris and the sense of big-headedness before a fall, we find insufficient evidence 
that the wrong boys are particularly so. It seems that they've been careful to say that they're open to receive feedback on their idea for hot and cold running soup, and they acknowledge there will be challenges to making a delicious and nutritious cake. So we have found them not guilty of that as well. And finally, in the sense of challenging the gods, we were split on this and we found that they have violated only the unjust gods. So they are guilty of hubris in a technical sense, but not according to the letter of the law here, which is hubris against righteous gods. So we find them not guilty. Full acquittal. Not guilty. Free to go. Oh, Oh, man. We're innocent on all counts. (laughs) Innocent. Oh, my God. After all, my life has been turned upside down by this stuff. That was so nerve-wracking. I thought we were goners. The affront to God stuff, I was definitely tugging at my collar there because well we'll talk about that later yeah and i mean we do like to act like we're pretty certain about stuff sometimes and they could probably grade on someone who disagrees let's just say there's a case to be made on some of these charges yeah and it was lucky wink wink lucky that we were let off on all of them i love luck luck is my savior without luck i would be lost non-anthropomorphized luck smiled on us today this has been the seriously wrong podcast defense in criminal trial thanks so much for coming to our court case this week and supporting us it meant a lot to have some people on our half there behind us and if you want to keep making sure that we can pay our lawyers and other people if the future spurious charges against our utopian dreams they happen pretty frequently you all know where to go we have a patreon patreon.com slash seriously wrong for just six bucks a month you can make sure that we keep winning these cases and as always folks these charges are spurious we are fully innocent and we will be vindicated thanks for listening also encourage you to get involved in the library socialist book club which is something that people on our discord server are doing every week discussions on different books doing post-scarcity anarchism right now every wednesday thanks for coming to the courtroom stay golden thanks for being here that's all we can say right now in the courthouse but if you want some more of the secret stuff we'll catch back up with you after the theme song It's hard to go through this kind of thing so frequently and to know that you have our back and that the charges are spurious keeps us strong. Hey, that thing that the teacher said, they're wrong. They're wrong! And that thing that your comrade said, she's wrong. She's wrong! And that thing that your partner said, the thing that your mom told you in bed, they are also seriously wrong. No one knows anything, especially Aaron John. It's seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. Seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. It's seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. Next time on Seriously Wrong, we join the wrong boys at their Imaginarium, where they are taking care of some business. It has been a pleasure to work with you, discreet hypnotist. Here's the manila envelope that we talked about. (laughs) Yeah, not all hypnotists can do what you did, surreptitiously enter a jury and hypnotize each one of them without the other ones noticing. But that's why you make the big bucks. We knew the prosecution was on our tail. We knew they had some hot leads. We had to figure something out because our plot to challenge God. Did we not let you in on the full plot before? We should let the hypnotist, I think he's earned it, let him in on the full plot. So here's the thing is that we're absolutely guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of challenging and desiring to, in a sense, overthrow God. And we were worried that our little imaginarium was going to be crushed by the big thumb of the law while we were working on the secret plot. Yeah, absolutely. We just want to become 
like a type of humanity. We want humanity to become something that God looks up to because we teach him a lesson, you know, like kind of how a parent might say, my children really taught me something, you know, like I learned from them as they learn. That's what we want to shoot for. We want to teach God a lesson. The same way that a teacher is like, you know, my students really teach me. I learn more and more every year. You know, that exact same dynamic is what we aspire to is the relationship between humanity and the pantheistic entities that control the cosmos. And we want the many demigods and the one central pantheistic God to look down at us and vibrate. You know, the humans really have taught me something. That's what we aspire to. And we're making our demands clear. If nature is unjust, we will change nature. Yeah, if things are set up that we just have to learn from the gods all the time, we're always below them, then we're going to undo that. We're going to change everything. We're going to shake it up. So that's why we paid you to do that discreet hypnotic action for justice. We brought you into a plot to challenge God directly. So thank you. Now, if we have any other trials in the future, do you have any wigs or disguises that you could be selected for jury again? I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but just something to think about. The seriously wrong slogan always has been and is now, the charges are spurious, we will be vindicated. And it's truer now than ever.